Hey everyone, I am here in Montreal and we are sitting in the back area of McKiernan and welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino and I'm sitting here with my good friend uh, Derek Deman. Welcome Derek. Welcome, hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, what an amazing experience I've had over the past seven days here in Montreal. Like we've just, it's been super fun. It's every time I come here, I feel like I'm coming home. Yeah, I think this time out of what's the fifth or sixth time you've been here in the last few years, I think yeah. this is the the least gluttonous of all the trips. I think this is like the healthiest. It has been yeah. the healthiest by far. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of wanted to just chat about, you know, how you ended up getting to here. I mean, you and I met feels like eons ago in London. At least 15, at least 15 years, at mm, least, maybe more. More because... Yeah. It's got to be more than that by this time. Yeah, I think time. so. Because you were the CDC at 15 when we first met. Yeah. And Greg, a.k.a. Frenchie, was there. Yeah, he was there. He was there. He was the sous chef there. Yeah, Steve Pooley. Pooley. Yeah. John Relihan, the whole yeah, gang. Exactly. Who, was, yeah, yeah. who ended up becoming my trainee. But So, you know, you grew up on the west coast of Canada. Yes, uh, from Vancouver Island, Campbell River. So, you know... Started there. You've traveled and worked. You've worked where? Uh, after, well, when I uh, left Campbell River, I went to Nanaimo, uh, the city with no pity, as everyone knows about that. <laughs> but uh, I did cooking school there and then went and did my apprenticeship in Victoria. Uh, worked at a few places in Victoria. Then I decided to pack up and uh, very hastily, with not too much money, move to London, England, which the exchange rate for Canadian dollar towards the sterling pound wasn't so great. <laughs> What was it like? Four Canadian to one. I was. I think it was about two point six five or two point seven five. We get hosed like too. Yeah. yeah, it's horrible. Still to this day, it's horrible. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, especially for Canadian dollars. It's. What do you call I'm, it? The Conexico. Our money's Canadian not worth peso? that much, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so you were over there. You worked at the Fat Duck. Briefly, yes. Yeah, 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 briefly. But it was at the end of my stint at, at uh, in England. I uh, about f- just under five years at at 15. And then I went to the, did a trial at the Fat Duck. I stayed there for a little bit, but then I just uh, decided to come home. I was tired. I was tired after <laughs> six days a week for five years. And, uh, and it, it was busy. 15 was a very, very busy place. And obviously the notoriety of Jamie that came along with it, but we were putting out amazing food and... You know, it was a lot of work with the trainees and the students and everyone that came through. So it was, yeah. So, I mean, that's a totally, let's just talk about that from a, from a educational perspective. That was a whole slew of different style of staff. I mean, you were training people from ground up. Yeah. So basically what happened was, you know, in the first induction of trainees, there was, you know, it was 15 was the address and also he's going to take 15 trainees. Um, I think there was about 35 people that applied and they took 15 by the time. Uh, and then they did the show. By the time the second one came around, it was over 10,000 and then it was up to 25,000. So, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, wanted to be a part of it because they wanted to think they could get a TV show out of it and stuff like this. So there was a lot of sort of HR weeding out people until they got to, you know, a certain amount of trainees that we would take on a, you know, sort of team building exercises where, you know, to see how they deal with things under pressure, you know, blindfold them and and have them try to set up a tent, you know, and see who's going to fucking lose it. (laughs) Maybe they're not the person you want walking around with knives in the kitchen, you know, (laughs) but uh, it was, it was really interesting to see. And there was people that stood out as clear leaders and, and, uh, and there's, 
you know, in those first two years uh, of the trainees, I mean, I mean, you had John Relahan. You were there for the when John was actually in the kitchen. Yep. There was a lot of people that came out of there and went on to do great things. Uh, there was Tim incredible. Tim is, is doing, uh, and Padella is doing fantastic. He's actually coming to do a dinner uh, in September, end of September. Oh, that's amazing. amazing. Public, yeah. I mean, I think about all that crew that came through, and there was really, really amazing. I mean, I was there for the first graduation. Were you? Yeah, it came that first time when Relahan was there, they had the graduation party for the for that crew and all the kids were partying like rock stars. Was that when I was throwing food at you from the past? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a funny time. So I think, you know, so training all those kids, like weeding the kids out, figuring it all out. I mean, that taught you a whole new skill set that I think most people don't understand. Training. Yeah, I mean, you know, what it did really, really teach me was something I find very fundamental is like discipline through positivity. And I think that I still, I still, you know, use that mantra today where, you know, I can teach you, you know, how we do things here, how we cook here. Uh, you know, I'd like you to come in with a great attitude and enthusiasm. We can show you no matter what restaurant you're in, if you're teaching through discipline, through positivity, you can teach them how to cook. I can't teach you how to not be a cunt. So, you know, so the attitude part doesn't do it for me. It's, it's, you know, enthusiasm. If you can't make anything, we can show you how to do it here and, and uh, I'm, you know, over the years become pretty patient and tolerant in that way. And uh, it, it really helped me on a personal level as well. And being so, you know, I learned I learned a lot there. You know, if I, you're working long hours in kitchens, 14 hours, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. You know, if, if you're on edge yelling and screaming for 12 hours a day, how can you be normal for the other four to five that you're awake? It's impossible. So, yeah, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. So you have to find that balance and... And, uh, you know, cooking is making people happy. So you should be able to be happy doing it, you know, all around everybody, yeah. you know, and I think that's really, that's really interesting because I think a lot of people, I mean, I'm sure just as much as yourself, as I did, we came from a very different educational style. hundred percent. And when I showed up in London, I was, you know, guns a blazing gung ho and, uh, you know, learned after the first batch of trainees, you know, that these people, these people, the students that were coming in, um, you know, had maybe seen a few more things that me or you had. So it was, it was, you know, you had to be understanding and, and almost sympathetic because they're very, some of them were, were quite sensitive to, you know, high stress, high pressure, uh, sort of situations. And it's not like we didn't know where they came from or what had happened or what had gone on in their life, or if they had lived a little bit on the street or if they had got arrested or if, you know, they just were luck of the draw. We weren't privy to any of that information. So there was no, uh, we, you know, it was, a, it was a blank slate. You couldn't judge anybody. You just, you know, work, treated everyone exactly the same. And that, I mean, that whole program gave kids that didn't have opportunity or disadvantaged was, I think, I think that's probably the best term to use, right? Disadvantaged youth, yeah. the opportunity to build a skill and grow. And hope, you know, like, a lot of the, you know, as, as, as it progressed and it went on of being there, you sort of tried to, you, you could get a idea of maybe where some of them had come from and what of them some of them have been through. And, you know, they, there was counselors and people that for them to talk to, but also they'd also confide in you as well. So, um, like I say, they, some of them had seen a lot more than, you know, the average person. Uh, and this was, you know, they didn't want to be a TV star. They didn't want to be, you know, like the next big thing they just wanted they were just happy to sort of have have an opportunity 
because nobody had really given them one before in the past. It's pretty amazing. And it was a very noble gesture of Jamie to to do that. And, you know, nobody had really gone down that road before. And, you know, to make a nonprofit restaurant, you know, right out of the gates, you know, was most restaurants are nonprofit. Yeah, let's but, just be honest. <laughs> but uh, this was an actual nonprofit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Most restaurants are not profit. So you left London and you, what was next? I left London. I did some traveling uh, around Italy. I just wanted to see a little bit more uh, of Europe and stuff like this. And then I, I moved to Montreal. I'd never been to Montreal before. I bought a one-way ticket. I landed here. Um, in It was actually in June, right before the summer. And I took the summer off i did i did that route just i'm gonna take the summer off you know and uh so i did that drove across canada i'm back i uh, went to visit parents went and visited friends and then uh just like okay i need to join the workforce in, in montreal and see how that goes and is that when dna started no i was uh i was catering privately out of a private club for people in upper Westmount and stuff like this that wanted you know, cooking classes at home and dinners and, and this and that. And I sort of, my name started going through the little circuit. And uh, actually, a funny story, like I applied at Globe when Dave and Fred were at Globe. And uh, Fred brought me in for an interview and then no-showed to the interview. Um, <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. He, he, he says he remembers it. I believe him. I believe him. But I probably wasn't the first person he no-showed to an interview. But I showed up there. I was waiting. And they're like, just hang around. Wait for him. He should be back any minute. And then. Time went by, and I was like, no, he ain't coming back. He's gone for the day. <laughs> but uh, but now here we are. You know, like uh, 12 years later, we're business partners. So, um, But yeah, so, and then, uh, you know, I was catering out of a private club, and then uh, the owner of that club actually approached me, and he said he really would be interested in, in uh, doing a restaurant. Would I be interested in doing a restaurant? I said, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and uh, that's when DNA came to be. So we met up with Alex, who was a partner there. And that was a classic, uh, the, more of a cautionary tale of, of what, you know, a lot of things that, same scenarios that people that don't have enough experience fall into when they're opening a restaurant. Percentages and amortizations and stuff and uh, people having multiple businesses and moving money around and, and uh, you really working really, really hard, but, you know, not gaining any ground uh, financially. Um, because you'll never be a partner. You'll never be this. This is a very romantic story that you are the partner here and you are, you do have a final say. Uh, but that being said, that was a, it was a great experience in my, in my life. Like we, I thought we did amazing food. We had, you know, great service staff, a, a very interesting wine program. One of the first all Canadian wine lists in, in Quebec. Um, and we were pushing the envelope as far as food went and, and uh, you know, lots of tableside service, homemade pastas, you know, bread service alone. There were seven types of bread that went to the table, um, you know, and that's it. It was just, uh, yeah, I just wanted to show, in, in, in hindsight, it's maybe showing off a little bit or this and that because it was a lot of work. But, uh, yeah, that was four and a half, almost five years of, of DNA, yeah. And you came and did a dinner. and I came out for the Festival of Lights. Yeah which was super fun with Elizabeth Faulkner. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, I mean, you just said something I think is really interesting. It's like we, when we all get that first opportunity, it's almost like we grind ourselves into the ground because we want to show everything we can do. Yes. And in hindsight, you end up realizing that it becomes too much. 
it's 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 not sustainable. I mean, you have to, and everyone's guilty of it. And in, in, yeah, in we've all done. I've done it. I mean, yeah, you know, everyone's I'll admit guilty it. of it. But I think taking you know, you know, understanding the situation, taking ten steps back before you take one forward, and you know, it's not really anymore. What I don't see, like, look what I can do. Put on the plate. It's more. You know, listening to customers' needs and and putting my own sort of twist on it, but within the boundaries of what people are comfortable with, because you know, like I said, like you know, seven years ago in Montreal, it was you know, you remember when you came here, people go into a restaurant, people just want to destroy you with food, like put the hurt on, you know what I mean? <laughs> and look what it is now, and people are asking, and I was just as guilty of it. Uh, I, we've I, all I, done it. Yeah. I was notorious. And yeah, you destroyed me. <laughs> I'm notorious for I was notorious for destroying people as well and I think it was really about like I think about it at that time we wanted to show everything we had because it yeah. was like okay, this is the opportunity we have to like cook for this person and it's like go give them yeah. everything and then they walk out and they're like, "Well, fuck me. I yeah, just yeah. got destroyed. I have gout and I can't <laughs> sleep and I'm just awful." You know, and 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 fast forward to today in the week you've been here, I mean everything everyone's not in that situation anymore. Nobody, nobody really wants to do that anymore. Everyone's here's four courses. Let me know if you're still hungry after, and we'll send you one more. If you're still hungry after that, we'll send you another one. Yeah. You know, and very vegetable forward this time of year. I mean, you know, Montreal's, you know, we're blessed with four seasons. So, you know, in the summer, the, the market, everyone gets very, very excited because it's apparent in everything we've had on this trip is it's super vegetable forward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we look with with uh, with jealousy, you know, when when you're posting in in March with asparagus and this and that, it's like we still have three three and a half months to go before we're seeing asparagus. <laughs> but when it comes, you know, the market's full. People are at the people. Everyone changes their diet, and you know, and getting into the winter here, you know, I think it's because we do have the four seasons. We 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 don't crave those vegetables and the darker days when it gets dark at four o'clock. We want the heavier meats and the braises and stuff like this to sort of naturally like feels like we're sustaining our bodies and uh what do you think that's how it works it is and i think and i think that's a perfect example of the juxtapose of what the four seasons bring to the cuisine but also what is very unique about montreal is that when it's winter it's big winter here it starts early and it ends late yeah and it's really about sustaining yourself and it's like watching everybody put up preserves and put up jams and put up tomatoes and be ready for the winter to bring that stuff out it's happening and it's been happening in every restaurant i've been in yeah that's a huge part of uh, the culture and it's not just a thing where it's you know you notice it now with with the younger generation you know back when i first started cooking you know my mom had always done canning and preserves and her mom had always done it and my dad's parents and my dad's mom had always done it and i didn't really care too much about it because i was a 21 year old guy you know what i mean but as you as you mature and get a little bit older you start to think like that's a really interesting tradition and i really want to pick up on that and then you know maybe it becomes a bit of a hobby but then you start to realize that it was an actual necessity as you mature a little bit more and how nice it is in a restaurant situation it's not just hey look at all the preserves i can do but when customers come in and in march and it's just like oh my god you know more orange veg and more root veg and you're just like hey listen you know what i've got asparagus from last june quebec asparagus here's something green you know and, and it, it is it is very very nice it's a breath of fresh air and you know i think that you know sort of segues into what i think the most canadian ingredient of all of all everything is just white vinegar I think it's the most important ingredient in, in Canadian cuisine because 
it's on everybody's shelf. Everybody uses it, whether pickles, preserves, salad dressings, everything is it's it's Allen's white vinegar. Really? Yeah. Not champagne vinegar, not white wine vinegar. White vinegar. White vinegar. It's the the noblest of vinegars. It's it's the underdog. Everyone casts it aside. They want fancy vinegars and stuff, but what do you pickle with? Plain vinegar. Yeah. That's it. Because you want the flavor of the product to come through, not the... Yeah, and it's not... You know, you have the, you know, like balsamic vinegar of, you know, fancy. Yeah, but you're not going to pickle in it. No, you're not going to pickle in it, but I mean, how special is it really? You know, it's like... It's it's a it's lies, you know. Like in that region of Italy, how much balsamic vinegar producing? But if you look at it in this neighborhood here alone, on this in this one block, how many people have it in their cupboard? Then go to this neighborhood, then go to this town, then go to Canada. <laughs> it's like it's impossible. This they're producing this, in Italy. but white vinegar doesn't doesn't. Uh, they, they're not trying to be something they're not. It's just like I'm white vinegar. A lot of people turn their nose at me, but I'll always be here. That's actually a really good point. I didn't think about that. Really. Yeah. The Canadian ingredient number one. Yeah, number one Canadian ingredient. White Everybody vinegar. thinks it's maple syrup. Well, it's not coast to coast. Maple syrup's here in Quebec. You know, maybe a little bit in Ontario and stuff like this, but predominantly it's it's here. So out west, you're getting they don't they don't get maple syrup. Well, they get it because it comes from Quebec. Comes from Quebec. But as far as coast to coast goes, you know, you look up even in Newfoundland, like uh, they have a, a traditional dessert dish is vinegar pie. Yes. And it's delicious. You know, vinegar is, is universal, coast to coast. That's really interesting. The light bulb just went on. <laughs> it's a first. The light bulb went on for change. So so let's back to DNA. And DNA has since run its course. Yeah. And yeah. so what happened next? Uh, at the end of DNA, I was, you know, I, I don't take uh, defeat very well. So I, it's not, I just, I want, I'm, I'm a, a fight, not a flight. And so I was looking for a, a space, actively looking for a space. And I, I found one, you know, it wasn't far. I, it's been, it was, I used to walk by with the dog and stuff like this. And it was empty for oh God, a year and a bed, year and three quarters, something like that. Then when I was, I saw it, I always thought it was neat. It was, it really reminded me of England. It was how it was in a residential area on a corner. Um, it was really beaten. It, it wasn't in great shape. You know, nobody had really taken care of it and stuff like this. And, you know, two winters, Mother Nature wasn't that kind to it either. Um, but I did notice at, when I was looking for a space actively that people were coming, you know, there was mail in the mailbox. Then there was no mail in the mailbox. So somebody was picking up the mail. So I started leaving letters. So I'm inter- interested in the space. Uh, six weeks went by and then finally uh, he wrote back. So went in, negotiated everything like this, and uh, bought the space, and then realized like, wow, that was all my money. <laughs> so uh, I ended up talking with uh, uh, Jamie, who uh, very graciously lent me some money, and uh, as long as I paid him back, which I did, and uh, it took a while, but I, but I did it, <laughs> I did it, and then uh, and then built it out. I had a friend. Um, who is a, a woodworker slash inventor? He calls himself an inventor, but mostly woodworking. Fa- like uh, builds old school bars in, in in New York and Connecticut. But he's actually from Quebec, and his name is uh, Welcome Bienvenue. True name. His real name was Ro- uh, Roger. Roger. 
up until he was 19. I mean, last name was Bienvenu. I mean, he thought it'd be hilarious to legally change his first name to Welcome. It was Welcome Bienvenu. Uh, That's genius. Yeah, and he's he's amazing. So he builds a, we had a five-minute conversation. He says, what are you looking for? I said, I want it to look like it's been here 100 years. He says, I know exactly what you want. So then we worked together, and and uh, I was his sort of schlep and cut wood and painted and sanded, and he built everything. And uh, then it came to be. And it's been seven years now, yeah. 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 So Maison Publique is, to me, one of these very special places. It's I don't think there's anything else like it. I mean, I send tons of people, and you know that, because I'm like, all right, here, they're coming. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just have a heads up. But I, I think there's so much to say about it. It feels like you, and that's the goal. And I think that's why, you know, you and, you and I are very similar in a lot of ways. We've, I think so. And, you know, top, yes, yes. But I'm just not ginger on the top, just on the bottom. Um, it, it, Tatiana was saying it the other day. It's like the feeling when you walk into the restaurant, it's, you f- I, it's like feeling like you're in your home. It's like there's you on the wall. There's, it's like it all makes sense. And, and I think the food itself is just so spectacular and very, it's changed very much in, in the time as well in some ways but not very much at the same time it's like it's like spot on fun like you're having fun and you can see it and that's the ultimate number one thing is like the amount of fun that's had in that restaurant yeah we just try to i mean like i say you know you learn and grow mature and take that taking 10 steps back before you take one forward is is really how that's not the easiest thing to do is it it's not i i and like you say we're we're similar we both I know you do it too. Overcomplicate things all the unnecessarily. time. All the time. All the time. When it's just like, no, you don't need to do that. You don't. Yeah, you, you know, need. You just, <laughs> all the time. Constantly. And I'm really trying to. I, I've learned a lot over the years, and and uh, you know, really, you know, fought with myself to not overcomplicate things. I still do it, but uh, usually somebody there talks some sense into me and just like, no. No, come on. You're like, <laughs> you know, you know better than this. Well, why, why are you doing this right now? But, uh, yeah, we just wanted to make it feel cozy and, and warm and, you know, and, uh, feel like it's been there forever. You know, sort of that cheers vibe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where you walk in and we, we have a lot of regulars that, well, there was a norm experience when we were there the other day at the bar yeah. and dudes from Boston, ironically. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. The guy, yeah. The guy takes the notes. Yeah. And it's, yeah. but I mean, like even on your business cards, it's like, it's a playing card. But Gloria is on there, your dog. Yeah. And your son, Felix. Yeah. I just thought every, it's not a, you know, it's, a, it looks like a pub, but it doesn't serve pub food, you know? No. But, but every pub, you know, has to have that sort of, you know, has to have the deck of cards. And that wasn't, that had nothing to do with me. I wanted the deck of cards and I had picked out pheasants and all this other sort of stuff that you'd normally see in Farah, who does all the graphic design. She's like, send me this. And it was hilarious. And actually Felix had at one point had a, a cleaver in his hand, but he looked too much like Chucky from child's place. So we, <laughs> was like, we had to like make him look a little bit nicer. So they changed, they swapped out the cleaver for a trifle. And, uh, and yeah, and then the dog is just like a dopey basset hound. So it's hilarious, but you know, but the decoration and everything, it was, that was a, a lesson in, in patience as well. It's like, I wanted to put everything up and welcomes like, just because you like it doesn't mean it belongs on the wall. It will come. You know, like stuff will organically start to arrive and then, you know, you put things up, customers start bringing things to go on the wall and then it, now it's just a, 
I had to build shelves for clutter, and now it's just cluttered. But, but good clutter. Yeah, but it's 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 organized clutter. Oh yeah, yeah I mean you have like a, you have wrestling pictures, you have hockey photos, you have crazy books, you have all sorts of stuff. Yeah, there. Yeah, like people send us and bring things all the time. It's funny. You have to hide things. There's there's hidden gems in there if you yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. There was. Uh, well, we've since got rid of all of the sex toys that were hidden around the restaurant. <laughs> there's a couple left if you look hard. There's a couple gems in there. I got the good ones. <laughs> and I'm I'm pretty guilty of sending you some of those as yes, well. Yes, very much, very much. Yeah. So since you're, I mean, we did a, I was very fortunate enough to come up here for the five-year party. Yes. And that for me was a, it was a huge, it, it was an honor. I mean, my book was launching and, you know, I made it adamantly clear with my publisher that I had to do a dinner in Montreal. Yeah. That was my number one thing. And then you were like, oh, this is perfect because we're going to do a five-year and you turned it into, you know, you had already had, you know, Pierre coming. Yeah. It was big. Yeah. And you said, I'm going to be in Montreal these dates. Uh, my book's coming out, as you know. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I was like, so what are we doing? And it was that, that was it. And you're like, what about this day? I'm like, funny you asked that about that date. Because that'd be great because Pierre Kaufman is going to be here that day for a five-year anniversary. So it worked out perfectly. And that ended up being one of the funnest weekends of insanity. Oh, it was a riot. It was a riot. He was, what a legend. What a legend. I mean, I don't think anybody understands the the just like the sheer volume of how much he brings to a kitchen oh and the impact he had on like you name the the three-star michelin restaurant somebody from there came out of came from him or you know there's degrees of separation that aren't very far oh yeah i mean he's the one who taught me how to debone pig's feet that's was when i went to europe to stage and i couldn't get into harvey's marco slammed the door in my face and i went and worked for him crazy and he's just like, he's a gentleman yet at the same time, he's as old school as it gets. Oh, nobody. He's the king. He's the king. He punched us both in the gut. Yeah. And he slapped Harrison inside the head. It was all done out of love and fun, but he just, I think he had to, there was a little bit of reality in there as well. Yeah. I mean, well, he punched you and I in the gut because we tried to get him to go take a break because we thought he was tired. We just didn't want to say he was tired. Yeah. Well, he'd been there since eight o'clock this mo- in the morning and consumed nothing but espresso and soft serve ice cream <laughs> so, all day long. <laughs> that, was, that was really funny. So, so now, you know, now that you've been in the city for how many years now in Montreal? Uh, 13. 13 years. Yeah. And when you... You know, did you ever think that you would be partnering with Fred and Dave of Joe Beef? No, no, not at all. But I've always been, you know, you know, I, I get along very, very well with with everybody there, and uh, Dave especially. I find we have a lot in common. Um, and uh, yeah, and it just sort of a topic came up one day. We're having casual conversation about looking and trying something new, and then it just organically, you know happened it's like we started looking at places and looking at out on the west island and and uh different places around town and uh and then this this came up like uh where we are now and well down the hall from where we are now at mckiernan and we actually didn't didn't like it at at first we weren't really well done didn't like it it was a, it was a beautiful space but just wasn't didn't really understand it didn't really feel it and then uh about six weeks went by and you know dave was getting multiple requests for catering 
I was getting requests for catering and both of us have very small, very remedial kitchens that if I do it, I've, I've done catering out of mine when other people are in there and I'm just in everybody's way and they hate me and they can't wait till I leave. So, uh, he called me and he's like, what about doing an event space? So we brought in Chris and, uh, Chris Morgan and James Simpkins and we came and looked at it again and then started negotiating. And then last, uh, well, this time last year we were building it because we had to be done for the 27th of July because there was a wedding. <laughs> Talk about setting your set up, setting yeah. yourself up. <laughs> yeah. No so go. So that was it. And uh, so we were done. And then we officially opened in September. And uh, it's, been, so it's been almost a year. It's, it's a, and I think it's pretty incredible. I mean, you guys, it, it's a giant family, but it's also a giant collective of brain power that you've created and it's sharing knowledge that I think is not done enough in our business anymore. You know what I, I, I agree. And I, what I really like about it is nobody micromanages, you know, and sometimes you see in a typical partnership that there's, there's a bit of meddling that goes along. Uh, everyone has their role of what they're supposed to be doing. Chris has his role. James has his role. I have my role. You know, Dave has his, Fred has his, everyone has their strengths and sticks to that. Everyone, we sit down for our meetings, everyone has their input, but nobody's meddling or micromanaging anybody else. It's, it's, you know, we want it to be organic. We want it to be a nice relationship and we'd like to do more stuff in the future because it's a, we have a, a good synergy and we, we, we think the same. We want the, obviously we want the same result. We want it to be a success, but we, you know, not just that, that aside, we, we want the, we have the same ideas for food that we want to see. We're not trying to reinvent anything. We just want to give people simple, delicious food, you know, because we're predominantly a lunchtime place until events kick in at night and we're doing on-site and off-site catering and, and such. And I mean, I think there's so much smarts that all of you bring to the table that you can feed off each other. You feed off each other's strengths, like you're saying. And I think that collective power, brain power, offers so much more. It's also... As a group, you guys can do way more and have way more fun. Yeah, we have fun. I mean, a lot of the times it, it, it's, uh, you know, by the time the amount of jokes and nonsense that we, that we talk about in a meeting until we actually get to the point where we're sat down for, you know, like anything. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, good, it's a good energy we have. It's fun. You know, when any of us walk in the room, it's, you know, you can feel the presence of the other person. It's like, oh, great, Dave's here. Oh, great, Chris walks in the door and he comes in and he cruises around with his coffee and, you know, it's just like, you know, and James is like the, the top of the food chain because he does all the financials. So he goes, James, can I buy this? <laughs> we need some new plates. <laughs> I think, and, and you know, and it's funny because when, when I think about Montreal, I think, you know, I, I like to say that when I come to Montreal, I feel like I'm at home. I really, truly feel like I'm, I'm, I come home to like a gigantic family and that's you guys. I mean, I've never ever felt such hospitality as I have when I'm in Montreal. There's nothing like it anywhere else. I know everyone, everyone here really appreciates when you come, you know, this is the first time you came with your wife actually. Yes. Which uh, has been great. Uh, but the good thing about Montreal, Montreal is very hospitable, you know, like, well, everyone will go out of their way to make sure you're having a good time make sure you're set up at the where do you want to eat what do you want to do where do you want to go it's across the board you yeah. know it's 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 great everyone really looks out when you know you're coming to town um and uh yeah i think it i you know i know i i enjoy helping and and i know dave does and everyone else that's around you know everyone's going to take the time to make sure that you get to everywhere you need to go so you have a really really good time so you can come back 
Well, I think it's it's also there's so much mutual respect across the board in this community yeah. for each other. And I mean, there's very few and far between turds. And when there's a turd in the town, you know who it is. Yeah. It's pretty apparent, like made up front, you know. Yeah, no. But it's not. Uh, it's not. It's just a, such a different experience here. No, we don't. We just don't. You don't waste your breath on it. You no, don't waste your time. Like, it's not worth it. You know, we all like to play play nicely in the sandbox. You know, which is and, great because that doesn't always exist. I mean, you have. I like to explain to people that are coming here, and it's like the, you know, it's like going to Europe, where you can understand where people speak, you know, fluent English or perfect French. Yeah. But you have you're in a city of hospitality and it's been across the board. Yeah. That's been the one consistent thing that Tatiana keeps saying. She's like, Oh my god, that person was so nice. That person was so helpful. And it's it's just everybody. Yeah, I don't I really feel like I haven't heard a car honk once on this whole trip. Oh you just haven't been lucky enough. <laughs> <laughs> you go to the right part of town where it's all potholes and orange cones. That's the one thing when as soon as the as soon as the snow melts, the orange cones come out, and then you know there's the construction and the horn honking and the everybody's rushing. Maybe you just numb to it because you hear so much. I don't know. I heard a lot. I heard quite a few today. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I that... may or may not have been guilty of a couple of them. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how it is. Everyone else in the road's an asshole, but you, right? Yeah, pretty much. I think that's how right. the world works. Yeah, it's just like, exactly it. and your place. You have to get to your place before everybody else does. Hundred percent. Because they don't have to get anywhere. No, that no, they're not in a hurry at all. No one I has have places to be. You have you have <laughs> places to be. Yeah, yeah, I know that one. So, what's next? You know, what what are you guys working on next? I mean, I know you guys are you're already booked solid for weddings and events. Yeah. So, uh, the wedding thing really worked out. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So we th- this year we're actually booked up until next October for like October 2020 for weddings so far. Uh, then obviously Christmas parties and everything that's coming up. So we're just trying to find balance in all of all of that because it's it is, you know, it was it was it was a nice nice thing to happen, but it was a big like a lot at, at once. Uh, but unless you want to get married on Tuesday, uh, you're kind of out of luck for the next little bit. Um, I think <laughs> what what you know we're looking at the idea of maybe a cafe downtown, uh, Mercurian Cafe, um, where we're using this site as a, as a satellite and we're delivering things down there and it's very simple but just you know uh offering a good selection to the public not too too much cooking just more on the bakery and pastries and and uh that that sort of side and then that's it we'll see what it brings i mean that's the thing with with all of us you know you know one day dave could walk in he's like i got this great idea and it could have legs it could never see the light of day you know it was like when this happened you know, it just, I hate this space. And then all of a sudden, I think we need that space. <laughs> and then pff, here there we you are. go. Here we yeah. are. Well, it's so, good because there's a committee of you to kind of just run yeah, it through. Yeah. And, and uh, he's got a great eye for these sort of things and, and we're able to execute it. So, uh, yeah, right now it's just, you know, it's, it hasn't even been a year yet. So to think what the next thing is going to be, I don't know. But that's sort of what we've been talking about is the, uh, the cafe route. Just to give that a, a try. Um, seems to work well here and then in a you know metropolis downtown it might be something that could work out so a tremendous failure but who knows so you you know true north has done very well brilliant book oh thank you and are you working on another i am i am uh it'll be out 2000 october or november 
2020. And this is the first I've heard of it. So there you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, you got a book going. Thanks. Thanks uh, for sharing. You didn't ask. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm doing it's sort of a, a follow up to to True North in the same sort of same sort of vein, um, uh, where it's like the regions of Canada like we had before, but more focused on uh, sort of the cultures of Canada within the regions. So um, same publisher. So, for those publishers out there listening to this podcast, hurry up and call Derek. <laughs> Thank you. No, we're uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be uh, good. We're starting to shoot uh, first week of August. Nice. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. There's lots of fun fun recipes in there. Um, some of it not as complex as as there were some things. Are a little bit. Uh, one comment I got with the first book is like, oh, it's great. The pictures are awesome. Some of the recipes are hard. I was like. Yeah, but that's What's, life. Yeah, that's life, and and that's also me trying to overcomplicate things. And yeah, but I think I think there's there's something to be said for that. It's like it's not like Awful Good was an easy book to cook out of. No, no, hundred yeah. percent. There's and, a lot of books like that, like Alinea, like, for example, yeah. French Laundry. You think that's easy to cook out of? No, but, but people have, buy them. True, but to have that balance of that's what I'm going for this time is sort of the chapters are going to read from from uh, easy to difficult. You know, and so oh, that's of, a cool way of doing so, it. So uh, when you start the chapter, it'd be some simple things, and then it starts to sort of progress. If you want to challenge yourself, there'd be a couple humdingers in there that you can. You mean like the giant seafood monster? Oh, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. We have to drive. Yeah, we have to drive two and a half hours to Toronto because the ice wasn't right. It wasn't the right ice. <laughs> no. Yeah. So John Bill, who we were doing it with, oh uh, my god, uh, amazing, amazing human. Um, was helping me because he had honest weight, so he was helping me to cure all the seafood and everything. And then the ice arrived, and he's like, "It's not the right fuck ice. It's not the right ice. We got to get ice." So we drove to Toronto, picked up ice, and drove back because they had to have the right ice. It was amazing, though. That sounds like John Bill. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty spectacular. But uh, no, that was fun. But yeah, so it was still have that coast to coast feel, but just sort of, sort of. You know, Canada is is multicultural. It's like San Francisco. It's a it's a it's a harbor city, right? It's a yeah. city. So we have a lot of uh, you know the Canadian culinary identity. You know, is you know vastly different between province and province, and within regions inside that province. Quebec being one, probably the most regional out of all the provinces. But uh, what's really nice is we have you know a lot of cultures to be able to draw influence from. Uh, in our cooking, and I kind of want to touch on that in this book because I find it interesting, and and you know, I love all foods, and you know, it's also a challenge for me to to sort of push and do new things that I've always wanted to do that I couldn't necessarily maybe do at Maison Public because they didn't fit. But uh, in this book, I'm drawing on you know those cultures and friends to help me out and stuff like this with uh, with recipes, and there'll be lots of conversations and and uh, so on and so forth. So I've heard I've heard. Uh... I think it was, I'm not sure if it was you or Dave who told me that the first sit down meal, plated meal, was in Quebec, here in Montreal with the French when they came through the channels. Sounds like something Dave would say, yeah. But uh, it's true. Like, uh, it was like cured ham, oysters, yeah, pre and, and preserved pineapples. Preserved pineapples. Preserved pineapples. It was actually right down in the old port where the original Joe beef was back in the 1800s. Um, and they were salted pineapples, not salted pineapples. It was a luxury. not sugar pineapples. No, salted pineapples. Was, salted preserved pineapples is a luxury item. Maybe ahead of his time for the Hawaiian pizza, the ham and pineapple. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was actually you know like you know like I say on the on the East Coast, those were the first people came down the St. Lawrence River, 
and uh, through Quebec, where, where Quebec City would have been and into where Montreal would have been. And most of the a good good portion of the old port was was uh, underwater. It's crazy. And you it's, know, it's it's funny because I, I, I remember Dave telling me that and me going back to San Francisco and, and like I salted pineapples. I wanted to try it. Mm. Man, they're gnarly. Yeah, something. It's but something. When, but when you're coming across the Atlantic, I guess, how long would it how long would it Well, they probably, the French stopped in the Andes. Yeah. And grabbed the pineapples, salted them, up. and then came up. Yeah. And so it all makes sense. And then you start to think about that. It's like oysters, ham was on yeah. salt, pineapple. But, you know, and I remember trying to explain that to people. And they're like, I don't understand the pineapple. It doesn't make any sense. And but if, like, you, if you look back and you, you actually Google it, it was, a, it was a, a, a huge luxury item in Europe. Salted pineapple. Yeah amazing see i think that's what's really cool about history history really kind of dictates i think it's really important i think you know everything we do is based on technique and history and and everybody thinks they're creating the new thing but majority of the stuff that's been done has been done before yeah you know unless you're ferran adria it's it's been done before yeah i'm not uh you know like you listen to somebody somebody like dave speak i mean he has so much knowledge about the history of 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 quebec and and uh the regions here and everything like this it's very fascinating to hear all these little stories and you're, well, you're talking to him going to be hopefully yeah is he gonna show up <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah but it, touch on touch on that because he's uh you know he's got a brilliant stories for all of these things it's it's quite fascinating to sit down he's he's just a fountain of knowledge in a weird way (laughs) (laughs) he's he's every time i've always talked to him he's always shared so much and i think he's really you know he's he's really been super forthcoming with a lot of stuff you know so i sent him a picture of us in the boat and he told me to give you a kiss on your speedo (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a dave comment So I think, you know, like you're working with Marco now. You're doing all sorts of fun things. And Felix is how old? How old is your son? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Yeah. And like you're now, you've you've moved out of the city. You're up, up, by, the, up by the lake. Yeah. Yeah. You're driving in. Yeah. You're, you're a commuter. I'm a commuter. I'm a commuter. But uh, <clears throat> obviously it was a game changer. I mean, everyone sort of makes a sour milk face when I say I looked an hour away, you know, hour drive. But, you know, by... 20 kilometers into it i've my stress level has gone way down i feel a weight off my shoulders and i sort of just the rest of it's just me time thinking about what i'm going to do tomorrow what what do i need to get done for the week where you know maybe you know living in the i don't know maybe it's just me but living right in the city in the rat race and everything like this like how do you really decompress you know i found myself forgetting you know a lot because i get home and i I couldn't unwind i couldn't do anything and now i get home and i go for a walk i have you know i have two neighbors there's the the lake uh it's quiet it's peaceful i work out like even when it's minus 40 i'm outside moving stacks of wood and it's, it's just different uh approach to things i find a bit way more zen way more zen and by the time i actually turn off the highway i've completely it's like water off a duck's back i've completely let go it's like oh i got 10 more minutes then i'm home and then what am i gonna do i don't know we'll see <laughs> I think that that kind of leads into like what is changing I think right now in our industry and like you know you're working with who is known to be probably one of the biggest gluttons of them all. I mean Dave was the biggest 
yeah. he, he was, and, and, and it's just, I'm not saying this in a bad way because we all did it. We all pummeled each other with food, but Dave was notorious for it. Like the first time I came and ate dinner oh, they destroyed with you, you, they destroyed us. I mean, it was just, it was relentless. It not, it was nonstop. And what, I mean, Dave has changed his life and so has Fred and people are kind of, there's taking two steps back to move eight steps forward. You know, you, you, we review ourselves you know, and, and make changes in what we eat, how we act, what we do. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Dave was a, you know, was a big inspiration for a lot of people. He's very uh, open about his experiences and, and what happened and, and uh, leading up to now. And uh, I think it's been, you know, a voice that a lot of people wanted to hear because a lot of people will look at him as a role model. And seeing this, like we gotta feed, 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 drink, 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 drink. Like you know, everyone's gotta at the, you know, like you say, like Vikings in the restaurant, you know. And then now it's it's different. He's very open about that, and people are 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 listening because he does have that 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 presence, that commanding presence, and people do look up to him as a role model. So I think it's a very good stance that he's taken about being open and and honest and and transparent about everything. Um, you know, they started a new uh, sort of an outreach program where, you know, on Sunday is called Remise en Place, where you can come and, and talk about maybe some addiction problems you have uh, for people in the industry. And now they're starting one um, next Monday. JC is starting it, and it's going to be in the East End. It's because it's all in French. It's going to be up at uh, Maison Public. They're going to host it there on Mondays. That's um, great. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it changes changed the way a lot of people look at maybe, you know, evaluate what they're doing. You know, right now, what am I doing? Am I, you know... Am I leaving work? Am I able to decompress? Do I, you know, am I short with my son? Am I, am I moody? Am I always tired? Am I going to bed late? Am I drinking too much? You know, you know, being able to step back and evaluate where you are. It's like, yeah, I work a ton. Why can't I reward myself with, you know, living where I wanted to live? I've lived the last, how many, 20 years of my career, 20 plus years in a city. And now I'm living, you know, I'm able to get up on the day off and go, go fishing with my son. Or, uh, you know, in the winter, we'd take him skiing 10 minutes down the road. Um, you know, we go sledding, you know, or snowshoeing, walk into the middle of the lake and look at the stars at night, you know, and do like, you know, things that I think I had when I was, uh, when I was his age that I have such fond memories of doing this minus, I was from West Coast, so minus all the snow and the minus 40, but uh, such fond memories of, are created by nature and and the lake and outside and and fishing with my dad and my uncle and everything like this and i can see when he's there that the you know now he's old at an age where the memories are being created and he loves coming and he loves being there and uh you know to to me then i'm down just numb to the drive it's because it's a drive you know i could drive 65 kilometers and be home in an hour or i could drive 20 kilometers to the West Island in traffic and be home in an hour and 20 minutes, you know? And sometimes it takes me an hour to drive from McKiernan to Maison Public, you know? So that little drive home at the end of the night when I leave Maison Public and I'm arriving at the lake and I sit outside and, and just listen to nothing, it's very, very rewarding. And it's lots of time in the car to reflect on where you want to go, what direction you want to take. And I think that's a really... Like it, it's hard for people to take that step back and look at the big picture and say, I need a break or I need to reevaluate the bigger picture. It's like, I'm guilty of snapping and being short and we all have those moments. Yeah. 
but it's like, how do you correct them? How do you take the time to switch it off and be a better person and still be, I mean, we run our kitchens. People look to us Mm. in our industry. They look to us that work for us. We have to lead them with by example, not by do it because I say so, not because I'm doing it. Yeah. And it's really key. You look at people like uh, Jordan, my chef de cuisine at at Maison Public. You know, like hasn't hasn't drank in almost four years, and he's become such a, a leader and a mentor to people. You know, like basically, you know, telling smarten up. You know, think about what you're doing and the consequences of things that are happening, and and the way you're acting. You know, and he can spot it a mile away if you come in and you've had two beer or if you had thirty beer last night. You know what I mean? Um, and he takes the time and he now he, he he's a great mentor to people because he's been down that road, you know, and it's such a good quality. And, and he now finds the, you know, he lives in the city, but he's looking at that quality of life of taking the time for himself. You know, I'm not going to do I need, you know, if I'm there, do I need to do a 14 hour day or can I do a regular day? Like 10 hours is a lot. You know, if you if you take your time to do things properly and map out your day instead of being a hot mess and not really thinking things through and doing things as they pop up, you know, that drive home for me, the last 30 minutes, I'm thinking about all the things I need to do for the week, jot them down when I get home or take a note on my phone on the speaker and I'm on top of things. I can do a, like a, a 10 hour day instead of a 14 hour day and, and have a normal, be able to be home and not just walk in the door, have a bite to eat, walk right into bed. You know, I can come home, walk my dog, go for a swim you know, enjoy things in life. We don't have to always be, we don't have to sabotage or be a martyr to ourselves in order to succeed in this career. I mean, we, we work in an industry that's hospitality industry. And for years we haven't been hospitable to ourselves. It's true. A hundred percent. And I think it's time to like, let's be honest, the restaurant industry is broken. It has been yeah. for many years, right? Because we've, We've always put, and there's th- there's nothing wrong with putting the guests first by any means. No, it's what we chose to do. It's what we chose to do, but also we have to recognize that we need to take time for ourselves to breathe, to enjoy the moments, to yeah. recognize that it's time to step back and you know, educate, breathe, and like I, like and evolve. Earlier, like I said earlier, I mean, if you're yelling and screaming for 12, 14 hours a day, how can you be normal for the other? Or you're awake. You can't. It's impossible. You come home. You, you, you're you're on edge. You're like you're short with your wife. You're short with your dog. You're short with yourself. You're you know maybe with your kid, and it's it's not fair to anybody. And it starts with starts with you. Like you have to be good to yourself in order to be good to everybody else. And you you're not good to yourself. You're not good at your job. No matter how good you think you are, if you're not living a healthy lifestyle doesn't mean you have to go to the gym five days a week or run a marathon, but just like mentally healthy, you know, you're, you're not good to your, to anybody around you. And I think that's a hard thing for people to recognize. What does that mean? You know, being good to yourself mentally. A lot of people look at it as and say, well, I'm not eating gluten. I'm not yeah, going to drink alcohol, but mental health is a totally different thing and how you approach it and how you get there. And I think for some people it's, <laughs> yeah for my shoddy little show here um so i think that's a really interesting component that people neglect to really understand 
it could be as simple as, you know, meditating or taking yeah. yoga or going fishing because fishing is meditation for some folks. Yeah. Go for a walk, a simple walk. Clear your brain out. Yeah, that's it. That's all it is. It starts with that, and then you know, once your brain is clear, you start to, you know, you you, you evaluate things in a different way. You think better. You 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 can be more creative. You're better to the people around you. You're better to yourself once you get into a routine. It's just breaking the bad habit you're in, whether it is, and we all have them. Well, so, also thinking before you speak. Yes. Stop. Think. Just don't let the shit just pour out of your mouth. Yeah. I think that's a big. Th- I mean, I'm I'm probably the guiltiest of that right there. I don't. Oh, we all are, and you know, in the last, you know, basically two years of our industry being under scrutiny, we I think we've all, you know, sort of shuddered to think about what's come out of our mouth at one point, one point in time or another, and uh, and I've said some heinous shit, like like really offside things, like as a joke or as serious, you know, and everybody's guilty of it. But now it's one of those things, like you know. Was that necessary? Was that necessary? And it's like, you now you're evaluating everything that you're doing. It's like, I don't need to act like that because this is the industry. I don't need to be, you know, this like you know, bad boy. I'm a cook. Like, you look at me. I can't smile in a picture with my arms crossed and fucking <laughs> dick all the time. You know, <laughs> you know, I have to be like always, always on the go. And it's, it's not, it's not necessary. No. You, can, you can get everything you need to get accomplished like a normal human being within the confines of, you know, basically a, a normal day you know if you if you plan properly and accordingly mise en place you mean yeah mise en place yeah, life you, life, mise, life en place. mise en place yeah but if you if you plan accordingly and you have a clear head you can you don't have to be there 14 at your restaurant 14 hours you can you know you you hire people you know you have managers you know manage it's just it's right in the title manage your shit <laughs> your manager you know i want to come in and i want to do you know be there for the service and be creative and work with the team and sit down and taste things and be you know let's start making this bread let's start doing this pasta and i can gives me time to be at home and and research and learn and not just come up with things on the fly because i feel like i need to change like really think things through and that goes with like you know personal life decisions as well as professional life decisions you know being able to think clearly about what direction you want to go is going to be, you know, beneficial for your coworkers, employees, your business, yourself, your family. I think that's a a really interesting part right there that you just mentioned is for years, it's been almost a preconceived notion that we as chefs are to be loud, frenetic, crazy working all the time mm-hmm. like angry yeah. there's, there's always been this perception of what we are and what we should be that i mean isn't it ironic that i mean you've had tattoos well prior to being a chef but now it's like if you don't have a full sleeve tattoo you're not a chef anymore yeah which i think i find to be hysterical it's hysterical it yeah. doesn't make you a better cook because you have a full sleeve tattoo no it just <laughs> like, I looked at one of the cooks today and he came in, he had his hands tattooed and I was like, Oh, cool. He's like, Oh, you don't like him? I'm like, just a couple of career killers right there. Eh, bud? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? I was like, he's like, the tattoo artist called them those two job killers. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually interviewed a gentleman, Jeff Croce is a really brilliant tattoo artist in San Francisco. And that was one of the questions I asked him. What are the, what, what, what do you not like to tattoo? And he said, top of hands in faces yeah he's like he doesn't ever do want to do it ever unless it's like somebody that he knows is in an industry that won't 
but it's changed, right? Like yeah. it's a di- it's just funny. There was an article I saw the other day. It said uh, punk band tired of being uh, misrepresented as chefs when they walk oh, into I the saw this. Where was this? I saw this. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was the best article ever. It was a band. Like, I think it was like direct hit or something like that. I remember seeing this. This like a, it was like a, a California punk band. Yeah, yeah they're yeah, like, yeah. we're not chefs. We're just yeah. coming here to play. They're like, oh, we thought you were the new chef of the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, and this all came out of out of nowhere fast. You oh know, yeah, it was one of those things. Like I got tattoos over the course of you know fifteen years, and I know how much they cost. And it's like I know how much a cook makes, and you just banged out two full sleeves within a year. Like wow. Well, yeah, like <laughs> somebody was eating ramen noodles or oh stealing God. stealing or only eating staff meal at the restaurant yeah. for like years it's just a a totally crazy dynamic all right so let's go for a few quick things here all right it's like so nigiri sashimi Oof. really yeah really if if i was to yeah sashimi okay yeah sashimi uni caviar caviar okay beer or wine 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 red or white Coffee, tea. Uh, you know, you know what? I tell you something here. I do, coffee, only because I drink a shitload of decaf. Because I can't drink, like I could drink one cup in the morning, and I was kind of sleepy earlier, so I'm having one right now. But I love the taste so much that I just bang out decafs all day long. So really? coffee, yeah, yeah. But the caffeine, like I, I don't like the feeling of too much caffeine. So you're the half caffeine, decaf, non-fat soy latte guy. No oat milk. Oat milk. Oh, yeah, you're an oat milk guy. So cute. Okay. Beef or pork? Pork. Really? Really? Hockey or basketball? Is that even a question? No. <laughs> you're Canadian. <laughs> basketball was invented here. I know. That's yeah. really, you know, and you guys finally got a, finally, finally won. Yeah, I don't care. There's a few sports I care less about than basketball. But uh, hockey, I play hockey three times a week. Hockey, I played hockey all my life. Very funny. That's yeah. awesome. I do you okay? Here's another one. Do you think they should have hockey teams in parts of the world that don't have snow? Yes, because a lot of the a lot of the states doesn't have snow. Doesn't get snow. They've got great hockey. L.A. has a great hockey. They always have been. I still think it's weird. Yeah, but it was all at one point. It was all for you know. It's a cash grab too, right? You know that's why. Same reason why the teams have a have an alternate jerseys, a third jersey, and a fourth jersey. So when they come up with a new one, the you know the kids gotta buy it and have all the jerseys from their favorite team and all the stuff like this. So, but uh, no, that doesn't the doesn't bother me. There's a few teams in that I I don't really care about in the states and in Canada. Overall, but uh, it has nothing to do with snow, though. It has more of my personal preference of what hockey teams I like and don't like. And what is your team? Oh, I'm in the worst city for <laughs> my team. I'm a, I'm a Bruins fan. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, being from out west, I was always a Canucks fan. And Cam Neely was my favorite hockey player. Ever. 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 Wicked. And Wicked he, hockey player. Yeah. And he played for the Canucks until 86, and they traded him for Barry Peterson and like a bag of pucks for nothing. Traded him to Boston. And so I became a Boston fan after, and then always stayed a Boston fan because of him. And you, of course, you're in this city 
of the number one rival. <laughs> number one rival. Well, every sport's got a city, right? Of of the the team. You know, there's the Yankees for baseball, or Manchester, I guess, yeah. for football or for soccer. You know, I guess what was it for football? Dolphins. I don't know. Chicago man. Bulls. I don't know. You know, and Montreal Canadiens for the you know for hockey. But that being said, uh, Saint Leonard is where a lot of the Italians live in Montreal, and a lot of the Italians are are uh, Bruins fans. In really? Montreal because of Phil Esposito. Oh, good point. So they they always stayed uh, true. So I play hockey with a couple Italian guys, and they're like, "Bro, the Bruins, bro, they're in the finals, bro." <laughs> wow so you guys have a, a jersey that you guys wear when you play hockey it looks yeah. like the wu-tang but it's yeah, yeah so we have the yeah we have what well, was two leagues one's the the warriors that's a different one but then the, we have the the bruins jersey all black bruins colors with the same circle with the spokes in it but instead of the b it's the wu-tang w and we're the wu-tang bruins it's a great jersey. That's awesome. It's an awesome jersey. It gets lots of comments. Actually, I, I, when the Bruins were playing a couple years ago, playing the Habs at the Bell Center, I got tickets in the playoffs, and I turned the corner onto the De La and there's just a sea of red, white, and blue, like just all Habs fans, and I'm just like, and I started getting like people yelling, pushing as I'm walking through the crowd, stuff like this. But once they saw the front, they were like, oh. They're like, cool jersey. And I was like, yeah, no. Like, Bruins suck. I was like, yeah, okay, I, can, I get with that. I'm sure you get the same treatment when you're in Boston. I get it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to let you go back to work, but I, I just, thanks for uh, thanks for taking time. Um, hopefully you didn't lose your mind. But No. I'm always losing mine. I always and, like talking uh, to you and gazing into your eyes. Oh, you're my favorite. You're so dreamy, Derek. <laughs> Uh, it's it's been so much fun to be here, and and I can't say thank you enough for your friendship over the years. It's uh, been, uh, likewise, likewise, it's always been inspirational, and uh, you know every time I got to go to San Francisco, you were always hospitable and showed me a good time. We, dude, we got. I mean, I feel it's like it's like brothers of another mother. Yeah, especially the nose to tail events where, <laughs> yeah, it's like I can't even deal with the stages right now. You deal with them. <laughs> I gotta go deal with something else. Like, okay, I got it. <laughs> We've had some, we've done yeah. some doozies. Like, I know what you want. Yeah. It's okay. I'll I mean, it's, and I think that's, what's been really fun is like how well we can pretty much read each other and where we're going or what needs to be done. And I think that's what's super fun. And I'm looking forward to many more years of fun events yeah, and goofing absolutely. around and, and craziness. Absolutely. Cheers, bro. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.